people ask, what do you care about? What concerns you? What do we need to take action on? It used to be traffic, education, uh, and other things. And education continues to be an important issue for all of us, but something we've seen a jump in and is the issue of homelessness. So people regularly are saying that is one of, if not the top issue people want to take action on. Today on CPOP Radio, the show about creating pathways out of poverty, we're focused on homelessness and how individuals like yourself can ensure that each of our neighbors has a home for good. If you live in Los Angeles and want to give back to your community while strengthening your organization, you've come to the right place. I'm Alex. I'm Shivani, and this is CPOP Radio, powered by United Way of Greater Los Angeles. We recently sat down with their director of homeless initiatives, Chris Coe, to talk about the innovative ways that they're addressing this homeless crisis. We'll discuss everything from how to have a conversation with a homeless friend to why every Angelino has a stake in solving this complex issue. But first, let's hear from United Way of Greater Los Angeles CEO, Elise Buick. Hi, and thanks for listening to CPOP Radio, home of the Creating Pathways Out of Poverty podcast, brought to you by United Way of Greater Los Angeles. I'm Elise Buick, President and CEO of United Way of Greater Los Angeles. Our mission is to permanently break the cycle of poverty for our most vulnerable neighbors, families, students, veterans, and the homeless. Today you'll hear from one of our very own, Chris Coe, the Director of Homeless Initiatives for United Way. Homelessness is a complex and human issue, and we are lucky to have Chris at the front lines of solving this crisis in our county. He will tell you about the incredible success of 2016 and what's ahead for this year. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Chris. Welcome to CPOP Radio. Thanks. So we wanted to start with your work here at United Way of Greater Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You're the Director of Homeless Initiatives, Mm -hmm. which is quite an interesting job title. Can you tell us a little bit more about your path and uh, what you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. Um, It's been a pretty interesting path going into college i think i realized i love this work and i love the work of social change and working to to restitch our social fabric together so i started working on those issues in college uh, working on educational issues after school pieces in west philadelphia went abroad in ghana and at a librarian refugee camp there really saw what a self-help approach looked like in that standpoint of refugees they're banding together and making uh, the most out of their experience. You know, in college, they teach you to tackle the bigger problems. So I came to L.A., worked for the mayor here on uh, urban poverty issues and savings and asset building. I think United Way's fancy term for that is financial stability. So I was his advisor on that work and making sure people had really good financial products that made sense for them and poor families and low-income communities had the same things as everyone else. And I came on to United Way to help on that, and then our homeless work blew up in a good way. I mean, it took off uh, because I think there was a need for a new kind of leadership in the space. When I looked at the work in homelessness, what got me to step in was it felt like this is a special moment in time where a lot is coming together, where the United Way has a special role and unique um, responsibility to play in that, and 
think five years ago when we started, when we were visiting DC, they would look at us and say, we've kind of given up on LA. We don't, why should we give you any more federal resources when you can't even work together with yourselves? And we said, please don't give up on us. We promise you there's more we can do together. Uh, let us prove that to you. And we came back and in the last five years, LA's reputation in terms of being an innovator in homelessness has completely changed. So we went from being the laughing stock and kind of the butt of all stories of dysfunction to now being legitimately the leader in a lot of uh, solutions and innovations in homelessness, despite at the same time having the issue more visibly around us right now. Wow. I mean, I think that was obviously a few years mm -hmm. that you just covered yeah. from being sort of the laughing stock you mentioned of mm -hmm. the, the advocacy community to really an innovator. Yeah. Can you sort of succinctly surmise that? Do you think why, how that happened, how that was able to, to come about? Yeah, I think part of how that was able to come about was I think our, our change in identity and reputation really had a lot to do with our long-term commitment and our system-level perspective on what needed to happen. Um, and then thirdly, I think bringing folks together because part of why we jumped in was that we knew we couldn't do it alone and we knew that us pointing the finger at everything other people wanted to do, even if we were giving them money, we need to jump into the fight and be alongside our partners and our friends. And so I think what truly has made the difference is changing the culture of us expecting each other to do it and saying, no, let's do it all together. Um, and let's let's do it for the long haul and let's have a clear goal about ending homelessness. That's that's what's happened. Teamwork makes the dream Teamwork work. Teamwork makes the dream work. They're people. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So 2016 was a true banner year for ending homelessness in Los Angeles County from tremendous public support behind Proposition Triple H to Measure H, which is on the most recent ballot. There's just been a lot of momentum yeah. behind finally ending homelessness. Yeah. So what do you think has caused this recent surge in action? Yeah, uh, lots of things. Um, so, and ultimately, those things being on the ballot are not by accident. So, you know, we may uh, end up in our careers by accident, but I think some of these ballot measures certainly don't get there on their own. So with both of those things, they were intentional efforts on the part of the United Way and Home for Good Network to get them on the ballot. I think what's caused the surge in action on one hand is the visibility of homelessness. So even as the areas we've invested the most in, whether it's families, veterans, or chronic homelessness, in the last homeless count, they all actually went down. But visibility overall has gone up. Uh, I guess tents have gone up and uh, certain rulings have allowed our homeless neighbors to keep more of their belongings on the streets. So it's not that They've never been there, but they are there in a much more obvious and visible way now. And so I think it's a good thing that it's striking us of, oh my gosh, people are actually living on the street and there's there's entire communities living um, on my block aside from the ones in permanent housing. Pretty regularly, 90% of homelessness has existed outside of Skid Row, but I don't know that people have really felt that in the ways they felt that in the last couple of years. And so now that people are seeing it, consistently it's been the number one polling issue, right? So when people ask, what do you care about? What concerns you? What do we need to take action on? It used to be traffic, education, 
uh, and other things. And education continues to be an important issue for all of us, but something we've seen a jump in and is the issue of homelessness. So people regularly are saying that is one of, if not the top issue people want to take action on. But the difference between wanting action to be taken and having the opportunity to take actual action on your ballot is a different thing. And I think that's where when we come together and when we, it took, we were at city council uh, regularly with our partners. We were um, at the board of supervisors regularly with our partners and we got support even from our elected official partners as well. But really at the end of the day, our elected officials also can't do what they want to do without our advocates and our partners coming out and, and speaking that too. So I think it was a partnership and things on the ground looking um, more visible and being more apparent alongside with the work we've been doing for years, finally having the moment to come together and fight for something together. And, you know, for us, when, part of why we started pushing for it so much was we looked at the data, we looked at what we were doing, and we saw that it was working. But we saw that if we really are committed to ending homelessness, we realize, oh, we need to fight for this at a 10x level. We need to do this at a totally different level, and that's something we can't do without going to the ballot box. So that's what caused us to push and organize with our partners to, to get there. So, Chris, yeah. uh, with a 90% local success rate, permanent supportive housing is a proven strategy to ending homelessness. Mm-hmm. It's also 43% less expensive than leaving people on the streets. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about PSH and what it entails? Why is it so successful? Sure. I think uh, permanent supportive housing is so successful just because it gives uh, our homeless neighbors the same dignity that you or I would want. So... It is a place, a permanent place to live, so there's no kind of end date to their stay. And it is paired with someone who comes on site to make sure that they're connected to all the services they need. And the final piece of it is that that apartment um, or place they're staying in has their rent paid for in some significant form uh, forever. So that's why it's it works so well, and it's important to make sure our homeless neighbors who have the most serious conditions or uh, permanently disabling conditions are the ones we try to furnish these units for because these are folks that we feel like if they had these supports would thrive and be important members of our community in the ways we know they are. Permanent for housing comes from the belief that everyone can make it and uh, deserves a place to live if they're given the right level of support. So that's where permanent support housing and the idea of that comes from. And with our neighbors who have permanently disabling conditions, we just feel like the supports they need to thrive are these permanent rental subsidies, a supportive service, and a case manager to be there to help them kind of reintegrate and connect with the supports they need and also a place where they don't have an end date and where they're not necessarily going to be kicked out in six months or 12 months or two years. So it gives them the stability and the security to then from there make the life goals and choices that they've always wanted to make. But up until then, they've had to sacrifice those goals or um, or pursuits because every day their first and primary pursuit will have to be making sure they find the next place to live or the next place to live, or even if it's six months or 12 months out, 
kind of that psychological stress of knowing you can't really start your life where you are it's difficult so this this affords them the safety and security to launch off from there totally and sort of putting it i guess in layman's terms or just relating it to uh the experience that probably most of our mm-hmm. listeners can relate to mm-hmm. it's like I know that my rent will be covered next month. Mm-hmm. You probably know that your rent can be covered next mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. So then I can exert my mental energy mm-hmm. on what can I watch on Netflix, right? right? <laughs> Navigating right. that landmine and making all yeah. those choices. And, you know, what kind of panini do I want at lunch? Right. And I know it sounds trivial, mm-hmm. but it, that's really what it's like, yeah. right? Because we take so many things for granted, mm-hmm. like shelter, like mm-hmm. food, like clean water. Yeah. And so just thinking about it that way like removing that whole part of Mm -hmm. the equation Mm -hmm. and you have a totally different situation on your hands oh yeah yeah i mean i think one experience that a lot of people have is traveling at the airport and finding out their plane's been canceled and kind of going between gates Mm -hmm. and kind of shuffling around trying to find you know curl around a corner or on a seat and that work of when you're traveling for business and you don't have a place to really sit down and stabilize and you're trying to get work done and you know how difficult that is when you're in transit and you're kind of in between places and so you know you magnify that and think about working on something even more serious in between places and it's hard so I think the success rate is no surprise I think what's surprising is that people are that successful even despite having really serious challenges and obstacles that they're working to overcome. So it's pretty remarkable that not only are the success rates so high, but that these are folks that most most of us had written off before, but really seeing them find the potential that they've always had is, is, a, is beautiful and afforded by permanent supportive housing. Education. Without access to quality education, kids born into poverty are likely to remain there for their entire lives. That's changing, thanks to partners like you. 47% of Los Angeles County kids are now graduating, meeting the requirements for the University of California and Cal State systems, compared to just 38% in 2011. Plus, just this year, the high school graduation rate has increased to 79%. Yeah, and so just diving, I guess, a little bit deeper into Mm -hmm. uh, permanent supportive housing and just, you know, homelessness in general. I know you recently spoke at a panel here downtown on Skid Row Mm -hmm. about not only just homelessness, but how all ethnic groups have a stake Mm -hmm. in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And you specifically focused on Asian Americans, Mm -hmm. which I think for a lot of us is sort of an overlooked Mm -hmm. population. You don't the connotation isn't really there. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about maybe some unique challenges that, that come with serving this population? Yeah. There are challenges that are unique to the Asian Pacific Islander community, but not exclusive to them, right? So I think what's what's special about it is that in serving specific populations, um, and it helps address issues that are of benefit to, to all of us. And a couple that... I think, are highlighted in the Asian American community, or particularly with seniors Mm. who have been living on healthcare benefits or other pieces where that's made up most of their income or the ways in which they've been able to stay in housing. And as those benefits get challenged and 
some of them lose them, they increasingly fall into homelessness or try to find other places to live. So I think senior citizens are an area, especially for immigrants, uh, where after they've come and they had stabilized a certain degree, you know, when they get older and they've lose, lost some of those connections and they've relied on benefits once those are gone, uh, they need that help. And so I think the other part of it is prevention. So the aspect where people are often on the brink of homelessness, and I think the Asian community shares this with a lot of the Latino community as well, but a lot of families living together and a lot of households living together and saving rent by living multiple households to to one place. And then that just, you know, that puts people at the brink of homelessness. And from there... Um, what do you mean by that sort of extended family situation? How does that tie into homelessness? I think in terms of extended family, everyone, um, I think, starts from a place of wanting to care for their family. And mm-hmm. if people are going through a hard time, I think the first step is always that you take someone in. And I think there's a lot of situations in the API community, and again, others too, but um, especially in the API community where you start there. But some of these challenges that our homeless neighbors deal with ultimately are clinical okay. and medical. And so a lot of families are just not well-equipped to deal with those challenges when it starts turning out that it's going to take more than just extra love or extra patience. And especially because... A lot of these resources are in other languages or or the, the places you would immediately go to um, don't know how to communicate effectively, then you start losing that extra support that might help your family. And where you start out with a situation where you're just helping, then ends up stretching both families to the limit. And then, you know, inevitably, one, uh, one family will, will kind of suffer the consequences of that. Um, so I think what we're looking to provide and really work on in this next phase is making sure that all communities are supported effectively. You know, in, And the reason we work with community-based organizations um, and trusted partners and make sure that they are connected in with our broader partners. So we specifically look at how we can make sure special populations and communities are covered. But we then take all the work we do with the mainstream partners and the broader policy and public institutions to make sure there's a connection between the two so that it's not that we're just one-off funding special programs but that those special programs have the benefit of the broader programs and the broader policies that we're also winning and fighting for so i think that's especially important um, in these communities that often get quickly disconnected and because of the shame factor i was going to ask about that yeah and because of the shame factor don't won't emerge otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, won't raise their hand on their own, but will try to stay connected to these special programs. Um, but if we're not connecting them to these broader systems, then um, that need always stays hidden. So I think that's part of the work we do to address both sides of it. Yeah, I think that's one of the most wonderful things about mm-hmm. the United Way mm-hmm. is its completely holistic approach. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you know, we work very closely with the mayor's office, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. But just as equally important are our relationships with, like, the Koreatown Youth mm. Community Center. Absolutely. Right? Or, like, the Korea, like the community yeah. trust of Korea. Just like you said, just stringing the pieces together mm-hmm. and making sure that everyone's communicating, everyone's mm-hmm. on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this goes back earlier to what you were talking about, mm. how 
and why we've been able to make such incredible strides mm -hmm. in this fight. Mm -hmm. It's really that macro level That's right. approach. Yeah. And so taking a little bit more macro again, mm -hmm. can we just talk about women and children mm. specifically yeah. and how they are affected by homelessness? Mm -hmm. um, in our research, we came up with a 17% jump in numbers mm -hmm. amongst women and children. And this was quite shocking, but 63,000 homeless kids are enrolled in schools in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, I, I was able to participate and volunteer with the homeless count mm -hmm. this year where, you know, thousands of volunteers hit the streets and, you know, physically counted mm -hmm. the number of people living on the streets. But I know that a lot of women live in their cars with mm -hmm. kids, for example. So it's not that you're going to see these people living on the streets or under freeway overpasses and things like that. Mm -hmm. They're actually sort of hidden and tucked away. And so as it is, you have this really marginalized community of people experiencing homelessness but within that there's so much like gender and age factors that you don't really consider that's right can we um dive into that so you know homelessness has gone up i think it's an important question about women and children because all of our homeless neighbors by virtue of of living without four walls and a roof around them are all uniquely vulnerable um sure but even within that, I think it's important to recognize that there are populations that might be more vulnerable. And homelessness overall has gone up, but I think the population, I don't, I don't know that most people realize that uh, women have made up an inordinate amount of that increase. So since 2013, uh, women make up 61% of the overall homeless population increase. Wow. Um, so even as homelessness has grown up, it really... Uh, women experiencing homelessness has gone up even more. Why do you think that is? It's a good question. I mean, homelessness is always a lagging indicator, which means that homelessness, when something major happens to the economy mm -hmm. or housing or jobs are, are affected, you see the effect on homelessness years later because okay. usually the first place people go is not the street. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, the first place people try to make it is... Uh, living with other people, which is where the, the number comes from for the homeless count in schools, so families that are doubled up with other families. Um, and then from there, when that doesn't work out, a lot of them go to their cars, like you said. And then it's only after all of that doesn't work out or you know your registration tags start getting expired or you can't pay for gas or maintenance becomes too much, then you know so the streets are the last option, especially for a mom with children. I mean, the, that's the last place a family is trying to go. And so I think part of why the increase has come out now is that some of the pressures I think had been building up for years during the recession and probably just now are really kind of exploding in force. With women especially, I mean, there's things, again, kind of with the Asian American community like highlighting things that are important for all of us. I think with women, although these are unique needs to women, I think if we uh, work to address these issues well, it will be of benefit to all of us. And some of those deal with the fact that most women who experience homelessness, they're coming out of a situation where they experience domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And oh, wow. so we need to make sure that our homeless system has the supports and protocols in it that are really respectful of that and understand that 
they're coming from a situation that's been traumatic and the systems and the programs and structures set up should should really be sensitive to that and not not re-trigger those situations so i think a lot of women right now are bounced around from from programs where they might not feel safe and struggle to bring to bring their children too to them i think something we've been really proud of in our in our partners and our community partners is seeing them respond to this need and really start saying no we want to make sure that we do have the safety and the protections in place to to serve our women well so i think that's um, that's work we're just starting to see this year um, and last year really in earnest i think one of our um, preeminent partners in that the downtown women's center has made that an especial focus of theirs to make sure that what's called trauma-informed care mm-hmm. is something that's stitched throughout the system okay. and even this year so something we're considering just now is working with first five who's a major uh, public partner in working with children and then with parents and, and mothers and in a lot of cases making sure that entire system is infused with this trauma-informed mindset and this understanding. So all the systems we've been creating through the Funders Collaborative, which is where we work to match uh, the dollars of our private donors with larger dollars to make every dollar go further, now we're trying to make sure that that whole system that's being funded has this principle that's especially kind of our women and children have been kind of crying out for to make sure that that it has. Because otherwise... If you talk to some families on the street and you ask them, hey, why aren't you in X or Y program? A lot of them will say they feel safer where they are, which seems unbelievable, but but that's why we're working to stress that with every dollar that goes out, that uh, that dollar is used in the best way is, and is packaged in this trauma-informed package. So it kind of seems like just with permanent supportive housing, it's almost like figuring out the best solution for Mm -hmm. everyone involved and then filtering it Mm -hmm. out to all the various partners and Mm -hmm. organizations and Mm -hmm. and again just making sure everyone's on the same page Mm. yeah and it goes both ways right so we get our best ideas like i said through some of our partners yeah so it comes in through that way and then yeah our unique ability to spread solutions through the network back out to take the best idea from from one partner or one agency to make sure that it's then part of every single funding opportunity throughout and that then from there kind of what we fund through private dollars that then it kicks up through our entire public system um, is something special that we get to see by working with all of our partners. I think something interesting that you mentioned was sort of how a lot of women and children tend to slide into homelessness. Mm. You know, it's not like an overnight thing. But Mm. then you have this other side of people experiencing homelessness where they're just one paycheck away Mm -hmm. and it's just bam, Mm -hmm. you know? And and I think that's the thing with with this issue is Mm -hmm. the more you dive into it, Mm -hmm. the more it's spitting back at you. It's Mm. just so incredibly complex Mm. because at the end of the day, we're talking about humans Mm -hmm. who are the most yeah. complex beings mm. on the planet. Yeah. And that just means that we have to be just as like mm. adaptable and swift mm-hmm. in our response. Mm. It's just it's amazing that, that we're, is, you know, yeah. even even able to make any headway yeah. with this and especially on the levels um that you know you've been able to do is is really really wonderful. Yeah, I mean I think that's what's so remarkable about working together 
and putting a lot of whether it's $1 gifts or $1,000 gifts or $10,000 gifts, really putting all of that together. I don't think people realize how far the private dollars go or how uniquely uh, they work because they're so flexible, because they can be deployed so quickly. And when you start putting them together, there is a lot we can do together. And normally we think about that when we're building buildings or um, working on political campaigns um, or doing other projects together, but the same thing happens with with the money we put together and dollar by dollar when we put that together, we're able to work on these dynamic things that are big and and have that shift and change as we need to. So that is special, I think, about both the size of it, but how we're able to stay nimble in the process. That's the key, I think, yeah. is is the nimbleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know you've got to run to go rally the troops and get out the vote, mm-hmm. but I'm just wondering, can you let us know what's up for 2017? Um, <laughs> what is up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking forward to? Mm. What do you think? Uh, what's coming? Yeah. Um, so what I'm excited about is we have been working for years to prove concepts And then once we've proven concepts, to get funding for them. And then as as those concepts got off the ground, quickly realizing, oh my gosh, the demand completely outstrips the supply of resources we Mm, have. So then having to like recalibrate. Yeah. Or just say no, you know, Mm. or to say sorry um, time and time again. I think a lot of our partners get exhausted. Not the work itself, which is hard enough, but I think our partners get even more exhausted at, the work they're unable to do, right? And the mental burden of of seeing so many people where they know the answer but aren't able to provide it mm. uh, in terms of the resource. So, And that's just a funding issue? Yeah. yeah. In a lot of those cases, it really is. Um, and with a problem as complicated as homelessness, it's hard to imagine that it is could be that simple in some of these cases, but it is. Some Sometimes it just comes down to I either have the money to help you pay for one more week of that hotel stay that would then lead to the security deposit that I need to pay for your down payment for the person that has paid the commission to the apartment owner who's now reserving that unit for you to move into and the furniture that welcomes you home and makes you feel at home. Like all those things are resource questions. And so we've had years of proving things and then starting to get um, saddened or frustrated by not being able to provide them at the true scale we know we need to. But 2017 is exciting because finally, for the first time, we have all the resources in the pipeline with Measure H and with uh, Proposition Triple H. We have the housing, we have the services. So now we can't complain anymore about the big, big dollars, the expensive stuff. I'm excited now because the work we do can go so much further, right? So we don't have to decide between, hey, there's this really important thing we know we need to fund, but if we fund that, we can't uh, move forward with this other item that that we know people also need uh, now. So now we can look at two things and say, if we put these private donations with these massive public investments that are made through these measures, um, they can actually go a long way. So I am, I'm really excited that 
we have the the building box and the fundamental things, everything we worked so hard for for the last five, seven years on homelessness, that it's finally been taken up and there's sustainable funding streams to work alongside of our private donations to really supercharge them and move forward. I see uh, I see the road now. You know, I see the road home. I think a year ago when we saw with the recession and everything else, we'd taken kind of the date off our plan because when we looked honestly at the data and we saw the public resources available, we saw that there just wasn't enough to actually end chronic homelessness. Now there is. So now the work is using it well, using it effectively, making sure it's supplemented by other important things. And that's so much more exciting. Um, It's just as hard, but it's exciting because we know if we put it all together correctly, we can actually accomplish our goal. And I think that's that energizes people. Um, Like I said before, I think people aren't burdened by the long hours. I think our partners aren't scared off by having to follow up with a partner again and again and again. I think we get tired when we know that even after we do that, at the end of the day, when they say, yes, I'm ready to move inside, that we don't have the security deposit or we don't have the rent to say, we are ready for you. So I'm excited to start the other kind of work where it's about putting it all together and and getting to the finish line. I'm excited to start seeing visible impact to our work. Okay. You know, so I think a lot of, over the last few years, we've seen homelessness get worse. And over the last year, we've really spent a lot of time investing into systems that we need to, to kind of turn that time and change that story. So even though the good work has been happening below the surface, I think we're excited for those roots to blossom and for people to actually see the difference investments can make in their community and to be part of it. You know, I think we've also been working behind the scenes for a while and putting partners together. Um, but now we want to turn that and open it up to all of our United Way um, donor partners too. So groups who have been giving to the cause, but ha- now we need everyone to get involved personally and deeply and in their communities and help these programs and resources get built and come home. And that's a different kind of work, but I'm excited that we'll get to work together in a new way um, and that people will be able to see it and touch it and and be again be involved in the fight for it, which is ultimately what it'll take to to get the job done. Yeah, it really is a fight. And, uh, you know, there's literally tens of thousands of people who Mm -hmm. are in such a better place thanks Mm -hmm. to you and your work and your Mm -hmm. energy. So. Thank you for that. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, you know, sitting down with us and Mm. helping to educate our listeners. Yeah, thank you. And I think we often don't get the time to um, connect with our partners and supporters. And I think this is such a nice way to be able to tell you thank you and that you're as much a part of the story as we are. And truly, we, we have the privilege of representing you in this work and hope to keep doing that and and hope to be able to meet as many of you in person and and see you jump into the fight too in a deeper way. Mm-hmm.